Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I was in Montana in the mountains near Melrose in the Buddy area. Me and my buddy had seen a herd of elk a couple days before and then saw them again along the mountain the next day as well. So we decided to head up a day or two after, to since we both had tags still. After a day of hunting and seeing nothing, we decided to split up and he would go walk down one side and I would walk another. We were going to meet back up at the truck. It's about five and dusk is starting to settle in, so I decided to head back. On my way down in the middle of the woods, I could hear this continuous sound, but I could tell what it was as I started to come around a bend. I could make out the faint sound of someone singing. I stopped to listen and was sure it was music, but I couldn't tell exactly where it was coming from. I continued to walk and was half expecting to run into another hunter listening to music. I went around a bend and could hear the music much louder. I was 100% sure it was a radio or something at this point. I walked a little bit farther and there was a battery-powered radio sitting on a downed tree. There was no one around. 
I decided not to hang around wondering about it and was pretty weirded out at this point, so I climbed over the log that the radio was on so as to keep going on my way. When I got over the log on the other side was a tipped-over box full of all different types of women's underwear and like half a dozen kids' dolls all arranged in a circle. The radio was an old tape player and had the same song over and over. I sped, walked my ass out of there till I was far enough away. Then I started running the rest of the way back. It was the weirdest shit ever. I always remembered the song playing, but didn't know what it was called till I heard it again a few years later. It was Skeeter Davis. The End of the World. I can't hear that song without getting chills now. Not that I often hear it. I was on shift at the county jail and had just gotten off of a patrol shift. My shift was supposed to end at 10, but I did not get off until midnight due to some court hearings that had just gotten out. I figured that I would have to go get something to eat and then hit the showers before going home since it wasn't worth trying to sleep in a dirty uniform. When everything is said and done, I head down to the lobby so I can clock out and leave after grabbing something quick to eat. There's this big glass window right behind where they make you sign in, so if there's any issue or if we need an update, when the day guys are coming in on shift, you can see all over the front desk through said window. I was about halfway through the lobby, my food already paid for, and trying to pick up something when I noticed something off in the corner window by the lockers where all of our gear is stored during shift changes. There's this big steel cabinet back there, and it's usually locked up pretty good, but it's also sort of old. You can tell if somebody has opened it. It sticks a tiny bit at the hinges. Now I've dealt with more than my fair share of gear in my short career at this point, so I already know what's supposed to be in that closet just by looking at it. There are two desks, backpacks, tactical vests, and even rifles on occasion. Well, when I saw the cabinet open and the guns were over there instead of over here where they should have been, I got a little concerned. The guys at the front desk heard me asking who was in the locker room. One of them came out to see what was wrong. He checked it out completely confused by what he knew for a fact, that nobody had come in since us day guys started clocking out at this time. We closed up shop and decided to head back down until we could figure things out. I would later find out that my other officers had seen a police officer they did not recognize moving things around, which would later be known as the ghost. But luckily enough, my gun was still in its case, sitting on top of my locker. So if nothing else, nothing was missing for me personally, which is a huge relief, considering each gun gets locked up with its own special key, and there's only like six of those in the entire station. I was talking to one of the guys at the front desk about what I'd seen, the ghost, the apparition, but he did not remember anybody coming through for a while, so he went back down together to talk to the night watchman. After all this happened, I guess he too has seen this apparition as well. It will come in and move things around, everything from paperwork to equipment. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't believe in ghosts at all, but there's definitely something here. Now, our county jail is pretty small, maybe around 40 cells if I had to guess, but it also has an upper level that houses some offices and the conference room, 
along with holding cells where you could put somebody before transfer or just until their court date. The lower floor houses two large interview rooms, six normal cell blocks, an infirmary that doubles as a psychiatric unit, and then our holding area for everybody else that needs to stay the night. I had gone up there with our main dispatcher and her assistant. After talking to the guys at the front desk, every single door was locked like they should have been, aside from one solitary cell that houses an older woman who'd been picked up for public intoxication just earlier that evening. That just made no sense whatsoever, of course, unless she escaped, and I have no idea because it would take quite a struggle to break out of those doors since we're talking about solid steel. The cells also have two deadbolts on top, both being locked, so you have to do three things prior to breaking through, all of them which is nearly impossible if unarmed or alone unless you can pick locks. The cops that were there at the time had gone through just about every inch of this place, coming up with virtually nothing, which is extremely strange. We're a very small team, and we could usually get a pretty good bead on these things before it gets too far. It was only the three of us, after all, and we made sure to check out everything together in case something or somebody had slipped by. We even went over our entire walkie, talkie system just to make sure there was nothing going on. But we were also noticing we were having a lot of static issues, which is very unusual. The air felt very electric. Yeah, lots of magnetism in the air. Again, very unusual. And from the watchman, he always explained how the air would seem to change every time he would see this thing on the cameras, this officer ghost. But after searching for what seemed like hours, we decided to head back down and see if maybe something else had popped up, or perhaps there'd be some kind of clue lying around somewhere that could explain all of this without having to call in everybody else just yet. It seemed that maybe this was an inside job. I'm also trying to think rationally here and not immediately go to ghosts. The only people who had access to that room were either on shift or had clocked out at this point but it doesn't explain why somebody would take or move our stuff and then not bother using it for whatever they wanted to do with it. I don't know if you've ever worked with law enforcement before, but having guns missing is a really bad thing. If they fell into the wrong hands, there's literally nothing stopping them from being used against anybody, including our other officers. Our vests are also equipped with Kevlar plates, despite how light they may be so those could seriously injure or even kill somebody, which again is an extreme risk since most of us carry them around everywhere we go. I tried talking to the watchman again who didn't remember anybody else coming in, but informed me that on camera he saw the figure multiple times this evening. I just couldn't buy it, though. If you know anything about our tiny town, you might know we don't have a ton going on, especially at night which is why most people end up getting bored and find crime to commit. Even officers have a struggle of keeping responsibility or they can't handle the stress that comes with law enforcement. I hate watering the idea of this entire thing down to a silly ghost or apparition or even acknowledging the fact that this police station is haunted. But maybe it's time to open my mind. The night watchman, a good friend of mine, is a no-nonsense kind of guy. He wouldn't make this stuff up. 
I don't know if he really believes in ghosts, but he's definitely seeing something on the cameras that isn't quite human. I was patrolling my usual forest trails at night. I've been a ranger for eight years now, and nothing had ever scared me as much as this one experience that I encountered. Well, what I think was a Bigfoot, doing my routine patrol on this night, it all started with me walking along the same trail I do at night to do my rounds. Being Florida, it had rained earlier in the day, so everything was calm and peaceful, minus the puddles of mud here and there. The sun had set about an hour or two before, which meant it was exceptionally dark outside. Although I was already used to this, the moon was barely out. I saw a few other rangers patrolling with me, but they had passed by, and somewhere out of nowhere, maybe about thirty minutes later, I was walking along the dirt trail when I noticed something appeared in front of me. A dark, large figure coming from the right side of the path and then crossing in front of me as it headed off into some thick brush off to my left, Palmetto's. Actually, this is directly where I patrol, meaning there should most definitely not be anything even remotely close to resembling whatever this thing was. Its speed is what surprised me and took me off guard, considering it didn't even give me enough time to turn around and see what it looked like. All I could make out was that it was jet black, very tall and easily taller than I was. It moved quickly. I didn't even have time to react until laughter had already gone into the bushes, disappearing as quickly as it had appeared, deep in the palmettos. My heart sunk, and I felt an odd sensation. It was this incredible feeling of fear. All I can think about is how much more dangerous it had just made my job that night. If there was some large animal out here that moved fast, was taller than I, and larger than I, that actually crossed paths with me like it did, what else might be lurking on here? Would it cross paths with me again? Was this thing actually looking for me? As I thought about it more, I consider the fact that if something was after me, then maybe whatever it was might be prepared to attack. Although I wasn't going to back down without a fight, I began getting angry. Maybe it was my mind playing tricks on me, but I was a few hours away from my shift ending and talking myself into returning to the station, telling myself that if I did, I would be safe. If this thing is out there, it's just as much looking for me as it is anybody else. So now more than ever, getting to my ranger station was my only priority. I didn't really know what it was or what to think about it, but there was only one way to find out, and that was by continuing my patrol. Now I stood still for a moment, debating with myself on whether or not I should continue. Remembering all the times going back home early, it made me feel like a failure. Although I had never encountered anything like this before, it didn't mean there's nothing out there. It only means that whatever it was hadn't bothered me yet. But now that it had crossed paths with me, I might be next on this list of things to kill. Music that would have made me sick. The rest of my story is pretty uneventful, unfortunately. After this, not a lot happened. I didn't see the figure again, and as I look back on this event and reflect, I believe I encountered a skunk ape, a Bigfoot native to the Florida Everglades. While it was probably harmless and didn't want to actually hurt or kill me, it was still completely terrifying. I still don't know if this creature was real or not, 
but that didn't matter. Regardless of what it actually is, I'm convinced that whatever it was, it wanted to hurt me, or so I had convinced myself and still wondered. I'm from California, and I was in the northeastern corner of North Carolina the day before Thanksgiving visiting a friend. While visiting, I set out for a casual stroll to take in some of this beautiful country. There was an old church with a huge cemetery behind it, featuring graves from the 1800s and beyond. I took the road north and walked down to an old wooden bridge that crossed the creek that snaked alongside the road. I thought the bridge would be private because the dirt lane on the other side led down to someone's house. But then I noticed a fire road to the left that corkscrewed up the side of the densely wooded hillside that was my route. It was steep but the air was cool and it felt good to get some exercise. I was about halfway up and I noticed an old car salvage yard in the open meadow below me, right across the road from the old church. About 30 paces later, I got a strange feeling that let me know that I was being watched. So I took two more steps up the hill and heard something sprinting across the top of that hill, away from my location, but it was not the general prance like that of a deer, Rather, these steps were deliberate, heavy, and lightning fast. Then there was the sound of the breaking of a large branch or a small tree. It then got deathly quiet for a few moments. I cautiously took two more steps. Then I heard faint, calculated steps around the crest of the hilltop back in my direction. That strange feeling returned with a vengeance. I froze in my tracks. I was carrying a sidearm. I could hear my heartbeat in the silence. I scanned the topography of the hilltop, staring from where I heard the tree break from left to my right, high and low, searching for the slightest of movement. I was a sitting duck. I just had my back to whatever had the drop on me. Then I saw it, just the upper half of a head that was the same color as the two pines it was hiding behind. The rest of the body was concealed by the large underbrush in front. It was as still as those two pine trees. The top of the head was rounded, and the eyes were black as coal. The eye size was out of a fifty-cent piece and about five inches apart. I don't know how long I stared at this thing, but I do remember thinking, what the hell am I looking at? Then it hit me. That has got to be a Bigfoot. Well, that's enough for me, I thought, and back down the hill I went. I heard a minor disturbance in the leaves, and it was all over. I have no doubt in my mind that if that Bigfoot wanted me, he certainly could have had me. Fortunately for me, he or she was just curious. The strangest thing about this encounter is that I had no recollection of this event until several years later. My memory shook loose by reading someone else's encounter. I feel incredulous by this fact and can only resolve it as a repressed memory brought on by a traumatic event. I have read hundreds of encounters and listened to lots of testimonies as well, and feel fortunate that I was able to eventually recall the encounter. Folks, I know this might be hard to believe, but it's what I've gone through. I had just finished up with a traffic stop one night where all I found was an expired registration on a car, which did not match the plates. So I let them off without warning, went back to my cruiser to call dispatch before returning to patrol. 
This being said, I should have been able to see everything in front of me as clear as day. Even though it was winter time and where all the trees had lost their leaves, so visibility shouldn't have been too much of an issue. My headlights illuminated almost anything within 100 yards or so, but sometimes things can hide in the shadows of those yards. I noticed something out of my peripheral vision. This is right as I was on the phone with dispatch, so I immediately cut off dispatch and began slowly driving towards where I saw whatever it was, thinking it was a person up to no good. But then I saw that it moved slowly and had a long, fluid stride. Despite having no leaves, it seemed to blend in with the surroundings enough that you could just barely make out what it looked like when I saw a large head, two long ears, and horns, dark deep eye sockets that appeared almost hollow taken up by most of my headlights illumination by this point i felt like alice chasing after whatever alice chased after into wonderland except without all the trippiness and trying to find an exit except this time it was the one chasing after me i sped up a bit and tried to keep it in sight but as i got closer it suddenly crouched down and i lost sight of it the more I go into detail about this experience, the deeper things get. Just know that there is no car for it to have gotten into or jump over any fence. So where did it go, whatever it was? But as soon as you stop asking questions is when they get answered. So I slowly circled around the same 100 yards again, searching for anything unusual with my high beams on, on full illumination. It must have been hiding from me somehow. There was nothing except a few stray cats starting behind some trash cans on the other side of the street. I jumped some bushes and parked cars. Still nothing. So I start to just go back on duty, probably looking like a crazy officer driving around aimlessly for no reason. But that's what we do sometimes in this job. You just never know when something is going to pop out, so better be safe than sorry. I'm about halfway down the block towards my car when suddenly up ahead of me, which is now being obstructed by tall grass, I see it again. It had been crouched down again, but its head was now tilted upward at an angle directly towards me, and its mouth was wide open. There were no teeth visible that I could recall, and it did not appear to be making any sounds. It would only remain in that position for a few seconds. Then it would slowly move from side to side before standing back up on its two legs. It was at least ten yards away from me, so I did the sensible thing, which was to get back into my car, lock the doors. But it just stood there, looking at me for a few seconds, until going back behind some other parked cars, trying to keep out of sight. I don't know what it wanted with me, but it, if you have watched any cop show or horror movie ever, you probably could have guessed what happened next. I got out of my vehicle, drew my firearm. I'm smart enough to realize that shooting them never works anyway, but as I was about to approach the spot where it had been standing, it suddenly appeared in front of me, stopped and stared at me. And dang it, this thing was fast. It did not make any noise, but its wide-open, gaping mouth, which now I can see contained what looked like rows of jagged teeth, glistening with drool. Then it runs away from me again. I followed right behind it. At this point, I just really wanted to know what this thing was, so forget being scared. I probably should have just gone back into my car for that hour or two remaining of my shift. 
but there's a reason why they call it being stupid anyway. So I'm chasing after whatever it was, and I'm running pretty fast, but not jumping over anything. This thing was fast, like Usain Bolt fast. It did not even run in a straight line. When it ran away from me, it would just kind of weave in and out of any obstacle in front of it, which consistently mostly apart cars or trash at the time. But when you move so much while trying to evade capture, eventually you're going to fall down. Your legs can only take you so far before they get tired. That's what I think happened in this thing. It seemed to collapse on something that was invisible in my headlights and then pulls itself back up, which I'm not sure if it tripped or why it collapsed. Maybe it was feigning death. I don't know. But as soon as it pulled itself back up, it runs into a nearby backyard, which made sense. I mean, all the streets have been blocked off at this point. So, I'm going chasing after it to the same gate that is still wide open in the fence. And to my horror, I see another similar creature on my left, staring right at me like an idiot while not making any noise. It, too, was crouched down like something out of a prehistoric paleo zoo exhibit. Its mouth agape, but I couldn't see any teeth. I couldn't help but notice that this one had very large eyes, much larger than the other one, almost like a child or a baby compared to an adult. And then another creature just took off running, while I was still trying to figure out if this creature was real or not, or was I simply running after a nightmare? And then a smaller one jumps right in front of me. Out of reaction, I shoot this one point blank in the chest several times, which my gun did not even seem to phase it. It kept on running towards me, and I panicked at this point. Despite my training, I'm now thinking that this is some kind of demon. I did not even bother shooting at it again. The first few shots seemed to have no effect, so instead of wasting bullets, I pulled out my taser and tased whatever it was, expecting it to fall over. But it did not even react. The taser did nothing. Unsure of what to do at this point, I do the only thing I know I can do. Run. This creature and the other two gave chase, following quickly behind each other. I made it back to my cruiser and flew out of there. And since this night, I have never seen or dealt with such a creature. But I believe that this was something that had come from deep in the pits of hell. And I know these things are very real. I've thought about this incident nearly every day for the past 20 years and still don't know exactly what happened. I believe I experienced a rip in the space-time continuum, or some other less cliché version of that. All I know is that one moment the sky was blue and the next second it was night. We were staying at my grandmother's house in rural Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, during the summer. When I was a kid, I loved going to my grandma's because it was so different from my life in Philadelphia. So we'd been there for over a week at this point. I just needed to get out of the house. There was a small creek that divided the woods from the property, and there was a thick tree branch that stretched across the brook so I could use that to hop over the water, and then also use some big rocks as additional stepping stones. I got over the stream into the woods. I just meandered about. Many years previous, my brother and I had built a tree house, so I decided I would go and try to find it to see if it was still standing. 
I walked about five minutes into the woods and reached the large oak that once held our makeshift treehouse. Not surprisingly, it was a total wreck, and I decided that I'd be foolish to climb up there. So instead, I just started to turn around and walk back to the house. When I reached the creek, this time there was this faint white glow coming from the water. I thought it was weird looking back on it, but just figured that it was probably the angle of the sun or something. I mean, the water looked normal except for the edges and the ripples, almost shined and sparkled in the light. It's sort of hard to explain. Also, the stream was moving more quickly than usual, but not flooding or anything, so I had no clue why something like this would be happening. I just started to hop my way over the rocks and onto the branch bridge, but when my foot touched the far bank, I felt a flash of light overtake my vision, and I fell flat on the ground. When I opened my eyes again, I thought I'd gone blind. I honestly wondered if I had hurt my eyes somehow. The world had fallen into complete darkness, even though it couldn't have been even half past two in the afternoon. I managed to get myself back on my feet and made my way back to the house. Luckily, I knew the property well, and I made it there without incident. I flung open the door, and there stood my mother and my grandmother in the kitchen. The look on their faces were frightening. I'd never seen them with such serious expressions. My grandmother was on the phone with the police, and my brother was sitting quietly on the couch. His head spun as soon as I opened the door. I could tell by looking at everybody's faces that they had all been crying. Their cheeks were streaked and their eyes were red. My mom then asked me where I'd been and said I knew I wasn't allowed to be gone that long. Apparently, I'd been gone for hours. I watched as her face moved between anger and being relieved to see me alive. I couldn't understand it at first because I'd only just walked five minutes into the woods. But they said they had searched and called my name and went down to the creek, but they never saw any signs of me. Nothing. I still don't know what happened, but I do believe that I somehow was caught in a time warp. There's no other explanation that's reasonable for what happened except for something supernatural. I couldn't have fallen or gotten lost because my family searched the area. They would have seen me. I didn't go far. They would have literally had to step over my body if they were in the area of that creek. It's just impossible that I was near where they were looking and not in some otherworldly place. Still, none of them believed me, and my mom was always very adamant that I do not share my story with teachers and friends. Since then, I realized that I wasn't alone in this experience after watching various videos and reading other accounts, but I'm still looking for answers. I can't easily go back there to check it out because my grandmother ended up passing away a few years ago, and after that, my family sold the property. I'm eventually going to contact them and see if I can go back and find answers. When I was a little kid, my mom was out of town and I was with my dad at our house. Our house was on a remote Indian reserve in Canada, and about three miles away was my grandparents' house. Our houses were separated by three large wheat fields surrounded by forest. I don't know why, but my dad got me ready at nighttime and we started walking on the gravel road to my grandparents' house. My mom had the vehicle with her. I was under the age of five and pretty small girl. 
I remember it was a clear autumn night. The wheat fields were a few weeks from being harvested, and there was a bright full moon. There wasn't a single vehicle running in miles. We started hearing something following us. It was in the ditch in the tall grass and in the wheat field. My dad held my hand as he grabbed some stones off the gravel road. He started hurling rocks into the ditch. It would run off and then start following us again. He grabbed more stones and put them in his pocket, then put me on his shoulders. I remember holding onto his forehead when I was sitting on his shoulders, and it was all sweaty. I wasn't scared. I was getting excited every time I spotted that thing. I could see a lot better from way up, and I could see the thing's back or shoulders moving through the grass. I'd point it out to my dad, and then he'd throw more stones at it. It kept on coming back. To make matters creepier, we took a shortcut that was along the forest line on a thin dirt road. My dad started whistling loudly for my grandparents' German shepherd, Boss. The house was still far away, but we could hear Boss barking and moving towards us. Whatever that was following us was still following us. That dog was such a welcoming sight to see, sniffed around both of us for a moment, then dashed off into the field barking like mad. We got to my grandparents' house. My dad told my grandparents. I fell asleep on the couch. I talked to my dad about it many years later. He said after that they had smudged. My grandparents and father believe in the old ways and think maybe it was some bad medicine spirit and prayed for protection. Whatever it was, I was the target. Predators always go for the youngest or oldest. I was patrolling my usual forest trails at night. I've been a ranger for eight years now, and nothing had ever scared me as much as this one experience that I encountered. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Well, what I think was a Bigfoot, doing my routine patrol on this night, it all started with me walking along the same trail I do at night to do my rounds. Being Florida, it had rained earlier in the day, so everything was calm and peaceful. 
minus the puddles of mud here and there. The sun had set about an hour or two before, which meant it was exceptionally dark outside, although I was already used to this. The moon was barely out. I saw a few other rangers patrolling with me, but they had passed by. In somewhere out of nowhere, maybe about thirty minutes later, I was walking along the dirt trail when I noticed something appeared in front of me. A dark, large figure coming from the right side of the path and then crossing in front of me as it headed off into some thick brush off to my left, Tall Meadows. Actually, this is directly where I patrol, meaning there should most definitely not be anything even remotely close to resembling whatever this thing was. Its speed is what surprised me and took me off guard, considering it didn't even give me enough time to turn around and see what it looked like. All I could make out was that it was jet black, very tall, and easily taller than I was. It moved quickly. I didn't even have time to react until laughter had already gone into the bushes, disappearing as quickly as it had appeared, deep in the palmettos. My heart sunk, and I felt an odd sensation. It was this incredible feeling of fear. All I could think about is how much more dangerous it had just made my job that night. If there was some large animal out here that moved fast, was taller than I, and larger than I, that actually crossed paths with me like it did, what else might be lurking on here? Would it cross paths with me again? Was this thing actually looking for me? As I thought about it more, I considered the fact that if something was after me, then maybe whatever it was might be prepared to attack. Although I wasn't going to back down without a fight, I began getting angry. Maybe it was my mind playing tricks on me, but I was a few hours away from my shift ending and talking myself into returning to the station, telling myself that if I did, I would be safe. If this thing is out there, it's just as much looking for me as it is anybody else. So now, more than ever, getting to my ranger station was my only priority. I didn't really know what it was or what to think about it, but there was only one way to find out, and that was by continuing my patrol. Now I stood still for a moment, debating with myself on whether or not I should continue, remembering all the times going back home early had made me feel like a failure. Although I had never encountered anything like this before, it didn't mean there's nothing out there. It only means that whatever it was hadn't bothered me yet, but now that it had crossed paths with me, I might be next on this list of things to kill. That would have made me sick. The rest of my story is pretty uneventful, unfortunately. After this, not a lot happened. I didn't see the figure again, and as I look back on this event and reflect, I believe I encountered a skunk ape, a Bigfoot native to the Florida Everglades. While it was probably harmless and didn't want to actually hurt it or kill me, it was still completely terrifying. I still don't know if this creature was real or not, but that didn't matter. Regardless of what it actually is, I'm convinced that whatever it was, it wanted to hurt me. Or so I had convinced myself and still wonder... had the lookout watch on the bow of a tall ship at three or so on a clear night. Beautiful sailing weather, calm seas, could see every star, etc. You basically have binoculars and look at the water ahead of the ship, making little circles from the horizon towards the ship, 
then looking to the right, doing the same, moving all the way around the ship, with frequent looks ahead to make sure nothing's in your way. As I was doing this, I eventually got to looking behind the ship, where I saw a huge cloud of smoke coming off the horizon, and it was lit up orange, like a ship had exploded in a huge fireball. There was nothing else around the cloud in the sky or the water. I estimated it to be just over the horizon, eight miles. I hurriedly called to the bridge and reported some sort of fireball or explosion. As the office of the deck was checking it out, the smoke moved to the side, and then the moon started to rise. I was looking at the moonrise, and it was very orange since the moon was on the horizon, and there was one single wispy cloud in front of it. The cloud was backlit by this orange moon. The effect only lasted for a few seconds. If I had scanned that section a few seconds before, or a few seconds later, I would have seen some part of the moon, and and maybe a little cloud next to it. But they just happened to line up right when I looked. Then there was the time I heard a she, devil banshee howl around the same time in the morning, while I was the office of the deck on another ship. Never figured out what that was. Don't care to. I worked as a park ranger. So one night I received a distress call about a group of hikers who had become trapped in an uncharted section of the deep forest. Determined to find them, I set out on patrol, equipped with my flashlight and a compass. The darkness enveloped the trees, casting eerie shadows that danced with every gust of wind. As I made my way along the trail, my heart pounded in anticipation. The hikers had reported their approximate location, and I focused on following their path. But as I ventured deeper into the forest, a strange feeling washed over me, a feeling that I was being watched. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a figure appeared in the distance. My heart skipped a beat as I strained my eyes to see. As I drew closer, my breath caught in my throat. It was a creature I had never encountered before. It resembled a Sasquatch, but its thick red hair and deep, piercing, human-like eyes set it apart. I called out, my voice echoing through the trees, demanding answers. But the creature simply disregarded me and disappeared into the dense woods, leaving me stunned and filled with an inexplicable mixture of awe and confusion. What had I just witnessed? Was it truly a Bigfoot or merely an elaborate prank? Shaking off the encounter, I continued my search for the lost hikers. Their safety was my primary concern, and I pushed myself to navigate through the labyrinth of trees and underbrush. The sounds of rustling leaves and distant animal calls intensified my determination. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, I stumbled upon the hikers. They were exhausted and frightened, but relieved to see me. I quickly reassured them and guided them back towards the safety of the established trails. As I led them out of the wilderness, my mind remained fixated on the creature I had encountered earlier. Once the hikers were safe, I took a moment to reflect. What was the true nature of the creature I'd seen? I wanted to ask whether someone may have an explanation to what I could have encountered. I was walking home from work yesterday after dusk. 
yet it was still somewhat light outside, as during these times in Denmark, the light persists for quite long, and at three separate occasions encountered or heard something strange that I cannot fully comprehend or explain logically. The first one was a 50 centimeter tall, guesstimate, shadowy or dark bipedal figure running at high speed away from me, which I only saw in the corner of my eye and did not pay much attention to. Three hundred meters further, I saw what at first appeared to be human in dark clothes, walking around twenty, thirty meters in front of me, but when I took a better look, it seemed like it was just legs up to around knee, height. After I realized what I have seen and could not make any logical conclusion of it, it turned to the left and walked through a tree line after which it seemed to have switched to four legs and disappeared by the time I walked, where it had been standing previously. What's even weirder is the fact that there is nowhere to hide in that area, and I had clear vision of where it should have gone, and even checked where it went into the tree line. It vanished. At this point I felt eerie and creeped out, as there usually are not many people walking around, but it happens, though they always stay fully visible and never disappear. The third time was almost at my house door, where I have heard rustling and movements in bushes where cats usually hide, but they don't make such loud noises. The thing that I saw disappear into the tree line somewhat resembled a Fresno nightcrawler but it had human legs and was dark, black, shadowy. This was in Copenhagen metropolitan area, if it helps anyhow. I paddled about 240 miles up a river in Canada a few years back. It gets to a point where you end up being completely alone in the wild with no civilization to be found anywhere so we had a couple of interesting encounters. Both of the ones that really stick out happened at night. One of the first nights we're out there, I'm sleeping in my tent, comfy as can be. All of a sudden I feel a big snout poking my head through the tent and sniffing. I didn't know what it was and that it dawned on me. A black bear got curious and decided to sniff around the campsite and he ended up sniffing my face for like three minutes. I didn't want to move because I didn't want to startle him, so I was just lying there as this bear sticks his nose in my face and starts huffing. I swear I almost shit myself. The second encounter had the potential to be scary, but I was too busy stifling laughter to really feel fear. One of the last nights we were out there, we decided to set up camp on a little beach. It seemed like a good spot, but after we set up camp, I'm walking around and I noticed some moose tracks in the sand. We had set up camp on a little moose watering hole. No big deal. I'm sleeping in my tent and I hear heavy footprints outside. Sick, a moose. Cool beans. I slowly open my tent zipper as quiet as possible so I wouldn't scare the thing. I'm super excited to see my first moose. Except I didn't see the moose. At least not the whole thing. All I saw was this bull's giant dick dangling down, maybe three feet in front of my face. I recently moved into a new home. Since moving here, I've felt my entire bed vibrating, low frequency, moderate amplitude, nothing like a phone vibration, 
more like driving five miles per hour over rumble strips on a highway, but silent three times now. My partner was over one night and woke me up to ask why the bed was vibrating because they felt it. I did too at that point. And I was just like, I don't know. Maybe the train that is about a mile away was just the right mass and speed to induce a resonance in the hill my home is on. But that's all I can come up with. Hasn't happened in a couple of months, but I keep waiting for it to happen so I can run outside to see if I can hear the train and confirm the hypothesis. I have checked seismograph records online and came up with nothing. The frequency and amplitude of the vibrations don't seem to correspond to anything, so the train thing is all I've got. The floor isn't vibrating when this is occurring, making it even more strange. There are no major roads and no construction for miles. No underground drainage here, either, since I'm in the county. I have an Ikea bed frame with the drawers under it, and no, there are no vibrating toys in them. Only clothing. Any ideas? This is an account of an incident that happened in 1974 when I was 15 years old living in the city of Puebla, Mexico with my family. On this day, my younger sister Janet, she was 14, her best friend Shay, also an American living in Puebla, and I were gathering in the afternoon so we could take a bus together to the city of Kalula to make clay for art class. While Janet and I were walking around the block to pick up Shay at her house, we saw an American man appearing to be in his mid to late thirties, walking in the opposite direction of us on the other side of the street. He was carrying a large duffel bag over his shoulder. Janet and I started speaking loudly in English, hoping we would get his attention, but to no avail. When we arrived at Shay's house, we insisted that she hurry for the possibility of catching up with that guy. By the time she was finally ready, we were sure we would have missed him, but instead he was in the same place where we saw him last. We already told Shay about this guy, and after seeing him now and walking in the same direction, we all spoke up loudly in English, hoping again to get his attention. This time it worked. From across the street he yelled to us, Do you speak English? He crossed the street to the side we were on and told us he was looking for a specific address, taking out a piece of paper where the address was written and showing it to us. We did not recognize the street name. It was a long Aztec name beginning with the letter T. Since we were on the Uakiasen Street, he thought the street we were on was the same street, but it was not. We decided to walk him to the house number on Tehuacan Street that he had on his paper. While walking to that address, each of us would think different things, especially lots of questions, and he would look at each of us and answer our thoughts out loud. He was reading our minds. For instance, I thought to myself, I wonder what his name is, and he would look at me and reply, Richard. Janet said she was wondering where he was from, and he turned to Janet and just said Santa Barbara, California. Of course I didn't know why he looked at Janet and said that, but I was catching on quickly to understand that he read our minds, as none of us said a word, and he just answered our thought questions while facing the person who had the thought. At one point he looked directly at Shay and said that she shouldn't worry about Jane, Shay's boyfriend, and that he 
Jane wouldn't be jealous. Later, Shay said she was worried about what Jane might think about the situation of joining this attractive guy. We arrived at the house that had that number he had on his paper. It was in the direction of where we were going to catch the bus to Cholula. Because he did not know any Spanish, we spoke with a maid who answered the door at that house. The maid said that this was not the house he was looking for, and the people who lived there were not the people Richard was looking for, and she closed the door. Richard continued addressing our thoughts, and after the door closed, I said out loud, Hey, we probably have a map at our house. It was an apartment, and could find the address from there. As you might have gathered by now, we, Shay Janet and I, abandoned the journey to Chalula to, to make clay. Everyone agreed that this was a good idea, so we turned back and walked to our apartment. Once there, Richard, Shay, and Janet were joined at the dining room table by my sister, Louise, the eldest of us three. Our maid, Anya, met Richard, as did my mother and Anna and later my mother, pulled me aside and chased me for bringing a stranger to our home. When my mother confronted me, I replied that she wasn't living her Christian values if she thought it was all right to put a person out who needed help. I sometimes was a sassy kid. It turned out we didn't have a map at our home, so I ran around the apartment building asking neighbors if they had one. No one did. I went to the ground floor beauty shop and asked the ladies in there, and no one had one, nor had they heard of the street. One beautician suggested we take a bus, and before getting on, asked the bus driver if they knew the street, because, she said, bus drivers know the city, and her street's best. All the time I was running around, Richard, both my sisters, Louise and Janet, Shay, and my mother were sitting around the round dining room table. I would stop by periodically to give them updates. During one of these updates, I noticed that Richard had poured out a bunch of salt from the salt shaker in front of him. He had formed a pyramid, complete with four flat sides and a pointed top. I remember looking at that and thinking it was odd, but was more focused on trying to find a map for Richard. Later, Anna commented to me that he was rude to make such a mess on the table with the salt. Since no one in the building had a map, we took the advice of going to a bus stop and asking a bus driver about the address. We went to the bus stop that was around the corner on the street where Shay lived and where we first found Richard. That bus stop was across the street from a park that normally was crowded with people, but was totally empty when we got there. Richard, Shay, Janet, and I waited at that corner for the buses. Buses in a Mexican city are plentiful, and they would come by about every five minutes or so. When the buses arrived and stopped, I took the written address and asked the bus driver if they knew the street. Five buses went by in all. A couple of the bus drivers replied that if the spelling and the name were changed, they might know the street, while all the others said there was no such street. I had thought that I would continue with Richard to his destination. As I have said before, he was attractive. In a little bit, you will see why this is significant. After the fifth bus left, we stood there quietly. Shay, Janet, and I were facing Richard in the empty park behind him, while Richard was facing the opposite way, with his back to the park. His duffel bag was on the ground next to him. We were all silent, and then suddenly, poof, in a split second, a large old-time taxi 
looking bomb of a car appeared right before our eyes. No engine sound, facing the wrong direction on a one-way street, and just behind Richard, we, Shade, Janet, and I were totally flabbergasted, breathless, in total shock. The car appeared old, with a splotchy green paint job, light green, with faded areas here and there. Directly after it appeared, a man who looked and sounded exactly like Alfred Hitchcock, seated in the driver's seat and having his elbow out the open window, resting his arm there, said, Young man, are you looking for a T-Street? He said the exact name of the street that no one had heard of before. His voice was totally Alfred Hitchcock's voice, too. Immediately, Richard picked up his duffel bag, turned around, and said, Yes, I am. At that, Alfred Hitchcock closed his hands together, as in prayer, then opened them with a map opening between his hands. He said to Richard, This is where we are, and this is where we're going, pointing out the places on the map. Richard was leaning towards Alfred Hitchcock in getting this information, and they continued talking to each other. Shay leaned against the car to catch her breath as we were all so blown away by the car and Alfred Hitchcock's appearance. Janet sharply told Shay to stop leaning on the car, because if it disappeared like it appeared, she would be flat on her back in the street. Shay stopped leaning. At about that point, Richard picked up his duffel bag, walked around the front of the car, threw his duffel bag in the car, and right before he got in the passenger seat, looked at me and asked, Don't you want to come? I said in an emphatic, No. He said, Okay, got in the seat and then the car, with no engine motor sounds, turned the corner toward Shay's house. And while it was turning, Alfred Hitchcock said loudly to us, Have a nice trip. See you in the funny papers. I had never before had heard the expression of see you in the funny papers. As soon as the car straightened onto the street, the car, with Alfred Hitchcock and Richard in it, disappeared immediately, as quickly as it had first shown up. We, Shay, Janet, and I were so freaked out that we all started running towards our home in a frantic state, but at one point we all stopped, gathered together, kind of hugging each other, and feeling like deer in headlights. When we were together like that, we heard all around us, especially above us, Alfred Hitchcock's voice laughing and laughing. After a minute or two of that low, sinister laugh, it stopped, and we felt released and ran on. For the past, almost... Fifty years I've kept my eyes open to anything that might explain the incident. Janet and I have told the story through the years. We have not been in touch with Shay, so I don't know if she has spoken of it since we all left Mexico. I've asked many people what they thought, and only once, when I went to a seance that a friend had organized, did the medium tell me it was an alien abduction. When I explained the experience to her, after she did a reading of the group, that never felt right to me, but I don't know. In 2008, I ran across a Reuters article on the torture of sleep deprivation that shamed our country in Gitmo with terrorist prisoners. I was teaching Introduction to Psychology in a course called The Psychology of Dreams at our nearby university, so I read much about sleep, dreams, and the effect sleep deprivation has on the psyche. The article was about the sleep deprivation of bin Laden's driver, Salim Hamdan. 
The article described how Hamdan was tortured by being deprived of sleep for 50 days. I read on and was blown away when I read two paragraphs in that article that stood out for me. The first read, they also said the records indicated Hamdan and other prisoners at the remote detention camp in southeastern Cuba were visited by someone called Alfred Hitchcock, apparently over the British master of psychological thriller films who died in 1980. Later in the article, under the heading, who was Alfred Hitchcock, it read defense lawyers said they were curious about the meaning of entries in the documents that Alfred Hitchcock had visited Hamdan and other prisoners. Who Alfred Hitchcock is, I have no idea, said Navy Lieutenant Commander Brian Miser. A defense lawyer, it's obviously a code. Name for something. I have not found any further strange information about Alfred Hitchcock, but the incident that happened to us happened in 1974, and Alfred Hitchcock was alive at that time. I don't think I ever thought it was the real Alfred Hitchcock, nor a ghost of one, but a duplicate in some strange way. This entire incident was experienced by my sister, Janet, her friend, Jay, and me, while several other witnesses were a part of the experience at certain points. My older sister, Louise, my mother, and our maid, Anna, met Richard and witnessed some of his strange behaviors, reading minds and making a pyramid out of salt. I would just like to know if anyone out there has any idea what it may have been about. I had most of my out-of-science experiences there in Puebla, and I've always wondered if it is a place where magical types of things happen. Even when I go back to visit my older sister, nephew, and his family, I have strange things happen, so I don't think it was a thing of youth, but rather a place that is interesting to me. I am a licensed professional counselor, LPCS, an educator in Texas with three master's degrees. My sister, Janet, is a veterinarian and a paramedic here in Texas, and my sister, Louise, has a Ph.D. and teaches at a university in Mexico. I think we could be considered credible. My name is Adaraxilia, and I'm in high school. Last year, I went through a bad episode of depression. I'm doing much better currently, and I was scrolling on TikTok and found a video of a girl who claimed she shifted into another reality in her sleep. At that point in my life, going to another reality, even just for a few hours a day, sounded great to me. Out of curiosity, I looked up tutorials and other info on YouTube, and it soon became an obsession. For about eight whole months, I dedicated my free time to learning how to shift. The shifting I'm talking about is not the kind where people say they went to an anamime or Hogwarts or whatever. My desired reality, as they call it, was just a normal world where some of my problems did not exist. Since there are infinite realities that are similar to ours, I hope to reach one with those qualifications. On February 8, 2023, I decided to try shifting. I wrote down the date of when I went to sleep and the details of my desired reality. I tried my best to hold my vision of me waking up in that desired reality for as long as I could, but I fell asleep and had a dream of my previous day at school. I don't think the dream had to do with anything, just adding it. I woke up disappointed and grabbed my phone to turn off my alarm. 
and I saw that my wallpaper was different. I thought it was weird, but I thought maybe I changed it accidentally somehow because the new wallpaper was an old one I had not too long again. Then things started to get strange as I got ready for school. Things were very slightly different. The pink pot on my desk no longer had the Kirby face I painted on it. My shoes were in a different cubby than I placed them in. I go to a private school, so I place my school shoes in a top cubby so that they are easier to reach. I no longer had a paper cut on my thumb. My blazer was wrinkled and in the laundry even though I washed it, and it on Monday, which would be Feb 6. My jewelry dish was gone, and instead my earrings were just on my nightstand. Those are just a few of the differences I can remember right now. I instantly thought about the shifting thing I tried last night and assumed the worst, which is I am in another reality. I continued on with my day and I found out that no, my problems were not gone, so this was not my desired reality. School was different too. The road lines were much more worn out than usual on the way. Someone who I didn't know personally waved at me at school. I hit my hip really hard on a bench that I have never seen while turning my usual corner pretty fast to get to bio class. Our school banner in the courtyard was different. My assigned seat for religion class was different. My apps on my laptop were arranged differently. A character I had recently gotten in a gotcha game was no longer on my account, and the currency count was different. Game was Hawkeye Impact, third, and the character missing was Hersher of Truth, and of a bunch of other small changes that I don't distinctly remember. All I could think about all day was the fact that I was somewhere different and I was not home. I have never been one to be overly stressed and have panic attacks, but the stress was overwhelming and crushing. My head and eyes were hurting by the time I got home. When I got home, I went to bed and tried to shift back. I wrote on a piece of paper home over and over again and put it under my pillow, shifting method and set it in my head and imagined myself waking up at home again. I fell asleep and woke up. I started crying from relief when I saw my Kirby pot with a face again. The experience felt surreal to me, almost like a really vivid dream, and I was very willing to peg it off as one. That's when I checked the date on my phone. It was Friday, February 10th. This meant I spent a day somewhere else. My friend that I didn't recall being with much yesterday as I spent my two breaks in the bathroom panicking. At school even asked me if I was alright and that she was worried about me last night since I had been acting different and was very stressed out yesterday. She knows that I am struggling with depression. I said it was nothing and that I was perfectly fine. Does this mean that I switched consciousnesses with another me? And if that was the case, did we both try to shift that same night, or was it just me? Did I shift? Was this a dream? Was it something else? Either way, I took this as a sign to never try shifting ever again.